Good morning. How's everyone? Well, if you are in here this morning and you're expecting a younger, better looking man with a lot more hair, don't worry. You are in the right place. My name's David Crow. I'm one of the elders here, and I am thankfully only filling in one Sunday for our normal teaching pastor, Tony Walls. He's on sabbatical now, out enjoying himself and learning things elsewhere. So I hope you will be patient with me today, and hopefully we'll learn some great things together. I want to start out with a story. It's actually not my story. I kind of overheard it. Uh, There were two young women talking and probably in their 20s, early 20s or so, and one of the girls was trying to convince the other that she should become a Christian, and the reason she was giving was that if you'll become a Christian, nothing bad will ever happen to you. So I kind of walked away and kind of thought about that. What do you think? Is that what we believe? Do you believe it? Well, that made me think a lot, and... I want to talk today about something that may not be the perkiest and brightest and happiest thing, but I think it's something that we will all encounter without a doubt, either now or we've already had it. It's something called pain. And I'm going to call today's sermon The Shaper's Hand and talk about the purpose of pain. Again, why do I want to talk about this? Of all the things, why would I want to talk about this? I've had experiences in my life, that have been pretty painful too, but I've also, wanted, I've also decided to do this today because I've seen so many people, including myself, wrestle with this thing as one of the biggest issues. And a lot of people have even turned away from God because of this particular type of problem. So today, I hope you'll join me in taking a good, hard, honest look at this kind of thing and seeing maybe some hope and goodness in pain. Now, please don't come up to me at the end of the service and say, hey, can you explain why this and this and this happened in my life? That's not what this is about. You'll have to ask God about each individual kind of pain and thing that happens in your life. The Holy Spirit will help you with that. My purpose today is just to generally talk about the ways of God and how He can use pain, why suffering, why things like this are in the world. So that hopefully when that time, of come, that time of pain comes, maybe you can remember some of this and it'll help you. Because I know it's helped me. Pain is only one of God's tools to help change our hearts. But it is a tool He will use. Uh, I want to start out with a scripture from 2 Corinthians 7.10. It says here, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. But worldly sorrow brings death. So I want to start out by just showing clearly there are two very different kinds of pain that we encounter. There is a sorrow that God may allow in our lives, but what's the purpose of that? To utterly destroy us and wipe us out? Ha ha, you're gone? No. Salvation. No regret. Goodness. There is something good behind it He is aiming for. Repentance. All of those things are good. What's the difference between that again and worldly sorrow? That's more like despair. That's the thing that will lead your life into destruction apart from God. 
So there are different kinds of pain. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, specific kinds of pain here. The first kind of pain that I just kind of thought about was the pain of not knowing. For example, like, what's going to happen in the future? Have you ever had that? <laughs> what's going to happen if I lose my job? What's going to happen here? Or what's going to happen with my kids? Lots of things. We just don't know. We are limited. And I've had some long-term problems I've had to deal with in my life, and one thing I learned through that was, uh, you know, I just I kept praying and praying and praying and praying. It was so hard. And I kept expecting almost there was a point where it was like, because I'm praying so hard, I'm going to make God do something. And because it's all up to me, right? Well, the Lord kind of convicted me one day. He was like, say out loud, I am not in control. And I did. And I'll tell you what happened. All that pressure of me trying to make something happen was gone. Because it really wasn't going to be me making it happen anyway. It was going to be God. And I think sometimes I had to go through that little pr- prolonged kind of deal for me to realize that. He used that pain to help me see He is God. I am not. And there is so much freedom in that. And in... Uh, Tracy and Twana's class here, I picked up something else that really is related to this and has helped me. They talked about how we, his people, are only responsible to be faithful to do what he wants. It's up to God to bring the results. I'll say it again. We are responsible just to be faithful for what he wants us to do. God will bring about the results. So I could take a a little bit of a deeper breath after that. (laughs) But again, that was learned in the classroom of pain. Let's talk about some other things, the pain of not knowing. Specifically, unanswered prayers. Why does God even give a no answer to prayer sometimes? That's a hard one. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 4 kind of gives us an insight into this. James talks about selfish motives. James says, why do you fight and argue with each other? Isn't it because you're full of selfish desires that fight to control your body? And when you do pray, your prayers are not answered because you pray just for selfish reasons. There's a lot in James that's kind of hard to swallow, but he speaks the truth. When we pray, do we approach God like Santa Claus? Hey God, you're supposed to give me everything I want, everything that makes me comfortable, and if you don't, I'm going to be angry. It's a lot to think about. And I know as we are Christians, we learn who God is, and, and He changes our hearts. But this is one thing that's hard to deal with sometimes, because we, how many of you have had to teach your children to say the word mine? Anybody? Okay, be nice, say mine. I never have. I'm sure my parents didn't have to teach me either. It's in our nature from the very get-go to think about us first. So, sometimes there's a no because of we're not praying exactly in the, in the spirit that God wants us to, with the heart that God wants us to. What are some other reasons for a no being given? Well, some prayers God knows may bring us into sin or destruction if he gives them to us. And we're not always wise enough to see that or farsighted enough to see that. Uh, let's take a look, uh, look at an example in Scripture it covers a lot here, so we're not going to read it all. I'm just going to tell you the story of a guy named Hezekiah. 
And he was a king of Judah in the Old Testament, the nation of Judah. And he was a very godly man. If you read about his life, he did a lot of things to show his faithfulness to God, to lead the country of, of Judah, to follow God. Great legacy. And then God told him one day, hey, it's time for you to die. Get your house in order. So he's like, no, God, I've been so faithful to you. Please, please, please let me live. Please, please let me live. So God added 15 years to his life. And then if you keep reading, about 12 years into that, or during that 15-year period, I should say, he had a son named Manasseh. And the Bible talks about he was so wicked and led the people of Israel into such great sin Basically, he was the straw that broke the camel's back. It references his reign, Manasseh's reign, as the reason later why God would allow Babylon to come in and wipe out, not wipe out, but to destroy the nation in a big way and bring them all to Babylon. Babylon was sent to destroy them. What if Manasseh had not been born? What if, at the very least, Judah would have had more time, perhaps, to stay at country, and perhaps they would not have been led into that point of sin where God said, enough. So, I want us to think about, sometimes the no answers we get, we may never know why there's a no answer, but in this case, it could have been that a good, faithful legacy in Hezekiah was protected, and the country was protected from someone who would come later and do great evil. So there's something that we may not always see until we stand in God's presence and to be able to see the full picture. So trust God. He is farsighted. We're not. Another uh, hard thing to deal with in this not knowing is, why does God give us a later answer when we pray? As in, not a no, but maybe later this can happen. Well, again, a lot of it is in, of course, God's timing. Maybe there needs to be some more preparation or maturity before something is answered in your prayers. Let's take a look at the life of Joseph real quick. Again, it's a long story in Genesis 37 through 47. We're not going to take the whole time to read it today. But many of you know this story anyway. Joseph, what? He started with having dreams. God said, or showed him in those dreams, hey, your family's going to bow down to you. Well, what happens? Next, his own brothers sell him as a slave, and he goes to Egypt. How is that following the dream God gave him? What did he do to deserve this? Maybe he was a little proud, but why is he here? How would you feel in that situation? You're sold as a slave, you're in another country, everybody's speaking a different language. How alone would you feel? I bet there were at least one or maybe 101 prayers of desperation from him. Where are you, God? Why is this happening? What have I done? So why did it happen? Well, if you continue the story, he rose up to be uh, in charge of Potiphar's house, one of the leaders in that country. Pretty good position. He wasn't at least in the, in the field doing slavery, you know, really hard labor stuff anymore. But then he got accused of being uh, in adultery with Potiphar's wife. And here he's thrown into a prison this time, even worse. What have I done this time, God? What is this? 
You know Joseph, he was faithful. He stayed faithful through all of this. He didn't turn from God. But I'm sure there were a lot of faithful prayers, I mean, a lot of desperate prayers that he didn't get an answer to right away. Why? Why, why, why? Keep going in the story. He was brought to be the second in command of the entire country of Egypt. How did that happen? He was over Potiphar's house, and he learned administration skills from that. From being in Potiphar's house, at, uh, he also was connected to the Pharaoh. Potiphar was the one who referred him to interpret Pharaoh's dreams when he needed that interpretation. He also learned admin- great administration from running the jail. He was in charge of the jail. Why? Because God knew he was going to put him in charge of an entire country at least second in command, so that he could save God's people who were going to go through a great famine of seven years, if you remember the story. How many years did Joseph not know that answer? Not even the reason why. How many years did Joseph have to be faithful, even in these dark places? That's the way it goes. That's the road of faith sometimes. But he was not alone. And God did walk with him, and he was faithful. And he delivered, he used, Joseph, uh, he used Joseph to help deliver all of his people in the end, in a great purpose. So don't give up. There may be a purpose. There is a purpose with God. We just don't always see it. At least not for a long time. And sometimes, I've had other people talk about, you know, why doesn't God change my father's heart. Why doesn't he save him? I've been praying and praying and praying. Well, if God answers the prayer tomorrow, is that an answered prayer? Sure. What if he answers that prayer in 10 years? 40 years? Is it still answered? Yeah. So don't confuse our impatience and make that mean that God is unfaithful. It's easy to do. And remember, especially in prayers of the heart like that, praying for your family or somebody that you know is not saved, it still is going to be partly that person's choice. And working on the heart is not something that God forces on people. God will do great things to reach us, but we still have the power to not choose Him. So keep praying. But remember, it may take time, and people still have a choice not to choose Him. What's another reason we have uh, maybe not an immediate answer to our prayer? Well, sometimes we need to learn how to fight spiritually. Specifically, prayer and persistence is what I mean. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. All this stuff that we see is not really the forces we struggle against. But we wrestle against what? Rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's a spiritual battle, and that's why God calls us all to prayer. And if we don't see the importance of that, we may have to go through, and we may go through anyway, a time of desperation, a time of struggle, a time to fight for the ones we love, because we need to see how important it is to pray for those around us. How important it is God has placed that gift in our hands to release His power. Another thing about 
prayer not being answered like this is, you know, long-term prayer changes also what our hearts want. God allows us to struggle and yearn and long and call for Him. Because after a while, our heart starts to beat like His heart. The things that He wants start to become what we want. And that is certainly a purpose of God. Another reason, why does God delay in answering prayer? Well, sometimes it's quite simply because God deserves all the credit and the glory. And He waits sometimes until we give up in our striving, in our efforts. I can do it, I can do it, even if we don't say it out loud. It's so easy to be that way, at least for me. So in Lamentations 3.26, we see... It's good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Waiting is not doing nothing. Waiting is actively placing your hope in the Lord. It takes a long time, maybe. It's hard to do, maybe. But it is doing something. Psalm 127, 1 through 2 says, Without the help of the Lord, it's useless to build a home or to guard a city. It's useless to get up early and stay up late in order to earn a living. Because God takes care of His own even while they sleep. So again, God wants to get us to the place where we can confess and know that we know that we know He is the one who has done it and will do it. Next one, a little bit harder pain here. It's the pain of an imperfect and and evil world. Why do we live in it? Why do we have it? There's the age-old question of why does a good God put evil in the world? We could talk a long time about a lot of things today. But let me say things in a short way as best I can. People bring evil into the world by their evil choices. All of us. The result of our choices being here is separation from God. And a cursed earth, a place that has disease, age, violence, those types of things. If you don't believe me, start at the very beginning of the Bible. Look at the the Garden of Eden. In the very first situations, God did not create the earth as it is now. He created the perfect world where we were together in harmony and relationship with God every day. We're the ones who blew it. And we were out of the garden because of that. So, don't be quick to blame God for the evil in this world. We put it there. Now, is that the end of the story? Thank God, no. (laughs) A lot of people ask this next question in relation to the first question. Why is there even a choice of evil allowed in this world? Why does God allow that? To me, it's kind of simple. You can't have love unless you have choice. If God made us in the place where we could only do the right thing, only do loving things, only do everything right all the time, we have no choice. And then to say, oh yes, Lord, we love you when we have no choice but to do what he wants, that's not love. Love requires the ability to choose. If we don't have it, what are we? Robots. So yes, God gave us the ability to choose love, and with that choice, sadly, we all have the ability to not choose love and choose hate. 
We have the ability to choose wrong things, to be hurtful to other people. We have the ability to cause death in this world. So it's a hard balance, but without love, I mean, without choice, there is no love. In Joshua twenty four fifteen, it says, Choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. There's a choice that we have to choose God. And he has made that. In 1 John 4, 11, it says, If God so loved us, we also ought to love each other. There's a choice we have to love each other. Again, God hasn't left us in an evil world alone. God works daily to restore a perfect world through Christ and us, his followers. Christ restores relationships between God and people as well as people and people. And he takes away that separation and that strife and sets things right like it was in the Garden of Eden. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We get along, right? Because we are walking with him. That's how he restores what it's meant to be. And then it says, The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Again, some people might say, well, why, why doesn't God do something about the suffering and the pain and the evil in the world? Why doesn't he do something? It's so bad. Well, he did. Us. Before anything else, he sent us to do something about it. Your co-workers, my co-workers, your family, my family, the people that are around you, whatever areas of influence we have. God has sent us to change the world with his power. For suffering and pain, we have commands like James 1.27. Religion that pleases God the Father must be pure and spotless. You, me, all of us must help needy orphans and widows and not let this world make you evil. That's his solution. For fighting evil, we have commands like Romans 12.19-21. Never take your own revenge. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Overcome evil with good. That's the kind of plan God has. Of course, he gives us the power. Of course, he gets the glory. But we are the ones who bring it to the world. Another question that people ask a lot of time with this type of issue is, why does God allow evil people to get away with doing wrong? I'm sure all of you have seen that. That crooked judge let somebody go. They should have gotten this punishment. Or somebody at your work you know is doing something wrong, but they just they don't get caught. Nothing happens. Well, here again, God still is the judge, and he will judge all evil people and bring justice either in this life or the next life. We have plenty of examples in Scripture. Places like Sodom were destroyed for pride. If you read in Ezekiel 16.49, the first sin was pride. They also list they didn't take care of the orphans and the widows. In fact, homosexuality isn't even mentioned in that scripture. I'm not belittling any sin, but I want to take two seconds to say, don't forget pride. It's the subtlest of all sins. But it is the sin to characterize the devil himself. Pride says, I don't need to do it God's way. I'm okay as I am. And that's where the floodgates of every other kind of sin can come from. 
So yes, God will judge evil in this world. In the next life, he may judge as well. 1 Peter 4, 5. But they, speaking about evil people, non-Christians, they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And then some people stop at this place to describe God. They think God is always angry. He's happy to just throw down lightning bolts. That's what he gets his greatest joy out of. But is that the full picture of God? He does hate sin. But don't confuse God's patience to allow everyone to come to repentance and salvation. Don't confuse that with God seeming not to care about the evil in this world. Never confuse it. If you look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says, You surely don't think much of God's wonderful goodness or of his patience, his willingness to put up with you. Don't you know that the reason that God is good to you is because he wants you to turn to him? That's his real heart's desire. So when you think, oh, that person's just getting away with it, maybe we could take a moment and pray for him because God wants that person just like he wants us. He wants to save them just like he saved us. In fact, again, I'll say, none of us, none of us would be here without his patience. Next, I'll go to probably the hardest pain. I call it the pain of heart surgery. So what do I mean? A heart for sin or a heart for God? Basically, that's what I mean. What's the big deal about having sin anyway? Everybody does it. Well, is, is that the standard that God's going to measure us by? Whatever he or she is doing? No, actually, God will judge us by his 100% perfection standard. 100% perfection. Why? First of all, because we can't be that good. That's why Jesus came to take our sins, as you know. But God is never less than holy, never less than 100%. Sin, why does he hate sin? Because sin does what? As we've said before, sin separates us from God. He doesn't want to be far from us because he created the Garden of Eden. That was the first thing he loved. The second reason is because sin is the opposite of God's character. Sin is the opposite of who he is. God is love. That's why it's wrong to steal from somebody next to you. God is truth. That's why it's wrong to lie. God is life-giving. God is the creator. That's why it's wrong to murder. It's against who he is. So after we become a Christian, you know we become new that way. But God continues to change our hearts and continues to make us like him and work out this sin nature that's so easily in us and replace it with his character. That's the point of a lot of pain in our lives. What are some examples of this, real quick? The pain of the loss of things, jobs, money. Why, God? Why did I have to lose my job? Maybe one reason is we can see it's not the meaning of life. There's more to life. Maybe we might also just realize, hey, there's somebody else that needs some help around me that has the same kind of needs. You might think, am I really working for his kingdom or just for another buck? There's a lot of humility. God can work in us when we lose big things.
because we have to trust in God, our provider. Do we love God first? It's always a good question. Next is the pain of loneliness, the pain of being left out. Why do we have it? Again, a lot of times it could be to teach us if you see somebody else left out, maybe you and I should try to work to include them. Romans 12, 15 through 16 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Take notice of the people who need you. And then there's the pain of being around difficult people. We can all at least relate to this. Sometimes I've been this. People who are gossips, liars, betrayers. People who are hard to take care of, the elderly. People who are angry or have different views on life. Why do we have to be around them, God? Why does God have to be around us? The scripture says we were his enemies. But he did this to us. He reached out to us. In Luke 6.35, one of my favorite scriptures of all time, he says, But love your enemies and be good to them. Lend without expecting to get paid back. Then you'll get a great reward, and you will be true children of God in heaven. He is good even to people who are unthankful and cruel. And that's hard. That's hard. I don't know if you've had people treat you bad, treat you in an unthankful way, but I have. I had one at my workplace one time. Never happy with what I did. Always, always, always angry. And I had, to, I had a lot of time getting over and dealing with that. It's really hard. You know, God convicted me one day and he said, you know, pray for me to bless him. No strings attached. Don't pray for me to kick him in the behind. Blessings. Nothing else. And I did. And you know what happened? My heart was free from my anger I had towards him. And I started caring about him like God did. And I could remember the times when God had to take a second time and third time and 25th time to be patient and run after me the same way. That's what pain can do can teach you about who God is. All right. I'm going I'm to be like Ben when he preached. I'm going to pretend like you're in my classroom because I'm more comfortable being a teacher than a preacher. So I'm going to recall what one, many of my teachers have said. The mind can only take in what the rear can endure. So let's stand up just for a second. Let's get the blood flowing. I'm going to be a little bit more active, perhaps, than other speakers. If you don't stand, if you can't, or whatever, if you're sick, fine, whatever. If you can, stand. I want all of you to reach in your pockets or in your purses, whatever you have, and if anybody has a copy of the contract signed by God that says you will live to 90 years old, please bring it up here so we can see it. Anybody? Anybody got a uh, contract signed by God that says you will have no sickness in your lifetime? Me neither. But you know what? I found that we, I, we act like that. We act like we have some private personal agreement with God. And if any sickness comes, if anybody dies, he has betrayed us. Is it true? 
All right, thank you for standing. You can stay standing even if you want to, but you can sit. Is it true? God is our healer. God is our Savior. But has He promised us a perfect, painless life? What scripture is that in? That's what my father would say is in First Hesitations, chapter 10, verse 5. It's not in there. When pain comes, it's so easy to be angry. I know. And it's easy to want to make a target for that anger, and it's easy for God to be that target. But let's be clear today about what God has and has not promised. What has he not promised? A perfectly functioning body. He has not promised it. No death. He has not promised it. Even Timothy, someone who is preaching the word of God, a man of God in the Bible. You know, 1 Timothy 5.23 talks about Paul gives him advice to stop drinking water and drink a little wine because of your stomach and frequent illnesses. It's part of being human. Even serving God, we go through this. What has God promised? Let's talk about that. Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Doesn't mean a thing until you really have to stake your life on that promise. But it means everything when you do. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. The power for power is perfected in weakness. This is God's response to Paul when Paul was begging God, take away this thorn in my flesh. He called it a messenger of Satan even. God didn't do it because God was enough. It was okay for Paul to be weak because maybe that kept him from being too puffed up and forgetting that God is God. God is his source. God is his power. I want to give a real quick example that I love too about the heart surgery and why it's necessary. Anybody in here know the story of Judah? He was one of the brothers of Joseph. You know, Joseph had 12 brothers. They were the sons of Jacob. And I just talked about that story earlier. Judah was actually the one that came up with the idea to sell Joseph as a slave. Pretty good brother, right? Well, do you know the rest of his story? Later on, he had three sons, and he lost two of them. Two of them died, and he was scared to death of losing his third son. Fast forward a little bit to the uh, end of the story we know. Joseph was now the ruler of Egypt. He was the man in charge, second in command, and he wanted to keep Benjamin while his brothers brought food back to his father Jacob and his family because they were starving. And Judah said, no way, please don't do that. It will kill my father with sorrow, because he's already lost Joseph. He said, take me as a slave instead. What a turnaround. He goes from being willing without hesitation to sell his brother as a slave, and now he is willing to become a slave. How did that happen? He talks about his father here, and not wanting his father to lose a son. Why? Because he lost sons. He knew that pain. And he finally learned how to be a father. Anybody in here ever heard of the, uh, the person called the Lion of Judah? Yeah, that's Jesus, Jesus himself. Not the Lion of Joseph. Not the Lion of a lot of other people. The Lion of Judah. Why? Well, I think a pastor friend 
kind of pointed it out pretty well, and I agree. I think because Judah learned the beauty of sacrificing yourself and that kind of love. And that's why Jesus picks up that name, I believe. It happens through pain. One more reason for heart surgery. We are still here on earth and not in heaven because we have the chance still to point people to God. That's not always what we think about when we think about pain. But there is a real witness about God being real when people see that pain and death cannot shake our faith in God and His goodness. Plain and simply, look at Job. We could talk a long time about him, but we won't. You can read in the book of Job. I hope you will after this. Here's the situation. God and Satan, or they're watching the scenes of earth, everything that's happening. And what's the big question as they talk in heaven? Who really loves God? Well, of course, we know Job was the one that God talked about. So Satan was allowed to test him to see if that love was real. So, Job loses four businesses, sheep, camels, oxen, donkeys. He loses 95% of his employees, his servants. He loses seven sons and three daughters in one day. Losing one person is bad enough. He lost all that in one day. And on top of that, later, he lost his health. Why? I have done nothing wrong, God. I have served you faithfully. That's what Job said. Why? And guess what his friends said? Clearly, Job, this has happened to you because you have sinned. You need to get right with God. This is clearly the result of your terrible sins. You're a terrible person. Some kind of friends. Job was honest. He was raw. He questioned God. He even begged to die. But he still said all of this to God. He was still praying to God and talking to God and waiting for God's reply. Even though he had no idea what was going on about him being tested. He never cursed God. He never turned away. I simply want to make the point, all pain and suffering is not always because we have done something wrong. It may be because we have done and hopefully will do something right. And that is in pain, we can point others to God on this stage of life. Who's watching you? Who's watching me? I guarantee you it's more people than you think. Will we prove Satan right? Our God is only our selfishness and our comfort? Or will we prove that we love God even in pain, and even when there's nothing to gain? That's part of the question that pain allows us to answer. I'll finish with the last kind of pain, and it's the most personal in a lot of ways. It's it's the pain of loving. Many of you may know a writer named C.S. Lewis, very famous Christian writer. He said things like this, I don't believe God is particularly interested in our happiness He wants us to love and be loved. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world, and in the context of what he was saying, in order to care about others. Pain rouses us to care about others. 
It's amazing how these things that he preached so much, God actually displayed in his life. When he was nine years old, he lost his mom, tore him up, and it actually helped him to close up. He closed up to love. He didn't marry. He became an atheist, turned away from God. Later in his life, God used some friends to help him to be more open to God again. And even later after that, he met a, joy named, he met a girl named Joy Gresham. And he was taken with her. Now she was a divorced woman and because her husband was terrible and abusive and an alcoholic. And she came to England with two kids. And, and as I said, he was taken with her but he, never met, he didn't really pursue things and open his heart still. He technically married her, in his words. He, he basically just gave her citizenship so she could stay in England and stay away from her abusive husband. And, but they didn't live together. They weren't a family. He never said, I love you. A while later, Joy came and had bone cancer. And finally, finally Lewis had to admit to himself, I really love this woman. And he, as he said, married her before God. And he finally confessed his love for her. He took care of her and had a few more years with her. Was it worth the pain? I think surely he would say yes. And I'll say something that I believe he learned and we all have to learn in some degree. Those who shut themselves off from the possibility of pain will also shut themselves off from love. Love is painful sometimes. Remember, though, God didn't hesitate to pay it. It's called the cross. And how much does that mean to us every day? And how much he wants to see that love in us with all the people we are with, even if there's pain. I don't mean just romantic love. It can be with your friends, your family, whoever's around you. Last, I will finish with a personal story. Thank you for your patience. In 2006, a tragedy struck. My own wife passed away. She was the mother of two young kids. One was four, one was one year old. You may know them, Peter and Mercy here. Not exactly something I expected. A very dark time. Why, God? This is not supposed to happen. I can't tell you even today exactly the reasons why. I don't know. But I can tell you some of the things I've learned in the journey of God walking with me through this. So briefly, I will say, remember there's no guarantee for how long you have the people you love. <clears throat> I am thankful for the time God gave me with her, for the wonderful kids I have. Remember to say what you need to say and do what you need to do and don't wait don't wait. Don't leave those next to you begging for love. As a single parent, 
I spent time with me and my family. We were together at my parents' house for a while. They were helping us out. And I had a lot of long walks, a lot of long talks late at night with God, walking around our neighborhood. And through all that pain and darkness and loneliness, trying to work through all this, I have never, ever been closer to God than that time. Somebody said this one time, and I think it sums it up for what I felt. God will never be all you need until he's all that you have. He was enough. When you look death in the face, you can't help but walk away with a new perspective on life. Some of you know what I mean. Part of that new perspective was also, every day after that, I look and I think, how important is this really? How important is this? If I'm going to die, what kind of legacy am I going to live? What are people going to think about when I pass away? Am I going to leave a legacy of God behind, a legacy of love, or will I be too busy, too whatever? I've not been perfect in that, certainly, but that's something that stays with me. Next, the loss allowed me to care for other people with the same kinds of pain. I know how to talk to people who've lost people in death. I know how to say, hey, you know what? God got me through it. He can get you through it. Here's my journey. I can help somebody grieve and go through that. And so sometimes the pain we are so angry about having, sometimes that's the healing that comes to someone else later on down the road. Thankfully, again, all of this was not the end of my story. Thank God, he gave me a wonderful wife and Melissa, who was very gracious to come and take in two two kids that were not our own and start a life of love together. And I'm thankful every day for that. So in the end, I want to remind you, whatever pain you have, whatever pain you go through, it's not the end. You may be angry and hurting now, But as Danny Gokey likes to say, maybe you haven't seen the end of everything yet. And maybe there's a great thing that's coming that you can't see because God is the one making your story and my story. We'll pray a little bit here. I'll go in the back. If somebody wants to pray, I'll be happy to pray with you. If you want to talk after the service, that's great too. But at the very least, take a moment. Take a moment as we worship. Think about your life with God. Think about your legacy. Think about the pain you see around you. And ask God. Talk to God about that. Let's take a moment for that. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for today, for your word. Please help us to deal with pain in a way that brings you honor and glory. Because pain will come whether we are believers or not. Help the world to see you are with us. Always. Help the world to see that we love you no matter what. Help us to allow you to make the change in our hearts that you want to have and make us like Christ. Help us to be part of the saving grace sent out to this world. And may we trust you even when we don't understand. In Jesus' name, amen.